Hello and welcome to Bible 101. Today we're going to be doing another devotional and I would like to call this when ordinary becomes extraordinary. Let me explain a little bit about it before I actually get started. I attempted to preach this um, at our church a few nights ago and I don't feel like I did it justice in the least. And uh, honestly, I didn't even get to half the points. I felt a little bit rushed. So I, I want to come on this podcast and do it in a format where I'm not pressured to try to get it all out within a certain amount of time. And I'm going to take my time getting through this, but I pray it'll be a blessing to you as it was to me personally. And uh, a lot of times when God speaks to you about um, a message that you're going to be preaching, you're preaching it not just for those that hear you, but you're also preaching it for your own sake. The Bible says uh, that when we preach, we will both save ourselves and those that hear us. And uh, so a preacher preaches primarily to himself, and that's exactly what I had to do uh, in this lesson. This is really about a challenge to come out from the status quo and to do more for God. So I'm going to call it again, When Ordinary Becomes Extraordinary. I'd like to take a text from Hebrews chapter 11. It's really just a jumping off place. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I like to talk about it this way, uh, faith is the substance, it's the confirmation, as one translation puts it, amplified, it's the title deed of things hoped for. So uh, when you have hope, it's it's basically just saying, I hope this gets better, I hope I get better, I hope uh, my situation changes. But faith is the confirmation of things you hope for, it's the, it's the title deed of things you hope for. Then it says the evidence of things not seen, verse 2, for by it talking about faith, by it, uh, the elders obtained a good report. Faith changes your perspective. Many times you tend to look at the negative from your human point of view, but faith causes you to begin to see things from a different perspective. Because if you look at it from a purely human standpoint, um, basically you have no control over your over certain situations in your life. You have, we're dealing with coronavirus right now. You have no control really over whether or not you get coronavirus. You can uh, do all of the things that uh, they're telling you to do, and you can stay isolated, and you can wear your mask, and but you still could get coronavirus, as we're seeing. Um, and so a lot of times we look at things from a pure, purely human standpoint, and it causes us to worry, and it causes us to fret. But the Bible says, God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. That's 2 Timothy 1 and 7. So notice it says, for by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. You can get a good report through faith. Okay, verse 3, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. That doesn't necessarily mean that um, that uh, evidence for uh, there being a God is um, something you shouldn't look for. I believe the evidence is in the environment all around us. Romans uh, chapter 1 and verse number 20 says, For the visible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So it's telling us that the creation itself testifies of the existence of God. That doesn't necessarily mean that there's no evidence for God's existence. I believe there is evidence, uh, the fine-tuning of the universe, um, obviously the fact that the universe had a beginning. And there's many other things we could talk about here, but notice it says, ultimately, it's through faith that we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So, Because um, uh, oftentimes when you hear a debate of uh, creationism versus uh, evolution, um, what you're going to hear come to a head is 
the atheist is going to say, well, you cannot prove absolutely that God exists. And then the Christian could say, well, you cannot prove absolutely that God does not exist. And both statements are true there. Um, so ultimately, it takes faith. Either you're going to have faith in the atheistic point of view or you're going to have faith in God. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And how do you know that? The word of God tells us it was framed by the word of God. Verse four, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. And we're going to come back to that. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. A lot of us here today listening to this podcast obviously believe that God's, God exists. You probably uh, wouldn't be listening to this um, if you didn't believe in his existence. Otherwise, you might be listening to see if you could prove me wrong or you might be listening for curiosity's sake. But um, it says it's without faith, it's impossible to please him. But notice it says without faith. And then it, it gives us two um, two proofs of your faith. It says for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. So number one, you've got to believe that God is, that he exists. But then number two, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And, and let me just kind of give you a little bit of a story here. Um, just the other day, I... I, I was praying to God and I brought up a name that I have not um, brought up to God in a while, um, at least in, in a few days. And every now and then I'll kind of bring the name up, say, God, touch so-and-so, put it on their heart to call me. And uh, to make a long story short, it's basically an individual that I've been working with uh, for some time uh, in an open door. I'll just put it that way. And um, one day I just prayed and I said, God, I really want you to touch this person today to move on them today to call me. And while they did not call me directly, um, they did get in contact with somebody else and that person informed us. Um, and so that's just evidence that God uh, does answer prayers. And it was on the very day that I asked him about that. And um, I could tell you another story. I, I remember one time I was unemployed um, and I was looking for a job. My job had laid me off and in, in our area, uh, the, um, you know, I, I work in a certain industry and, it, and that industry is non-existent in our area that we live in. So it was very, very difficult to try to find a job. And I looked very, very hard for three months and could not find a job. And one day I told God, I said, God, you've taken care of us through all this time. We haven't starved. God, you've been good to us. But um, I said, the Bible says that if a man doesn't work, he ought not to eat. And I said, God, I'm asking you um, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, but today, today, I want you to move on my former boss and, and tell him to call me back today to tell me that they're going to rehire me. I, I was almost about to say amen. I prayed for some time and I was almost about to say amen. I hadn't even said amen yet to end the prayer. My phone rang. I looked down. It was my old boss. I picked up the phone. He said, hey, man, I just wanted to let you know that we're thinking about hiring you back. You could hear something as early as tomorrow. So the next day I went back to prayer and I asked God the same thing. Let them call me today. Sure enough, I uh, said, amen, walked downstairs. The phone rang. I answered and it was my old job offering me the position back that I had had before. God is good and God does answer prayers, but you've got to believe that he is. But it goes beyond that. 
Um, we're not going to please God without faith. You've got to believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Verse 7, by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. Remember, it had never rained. He said, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Notice it says moved with fear. So many times we put a negative connotation on people that come to God out of fear. But Noah was moved with fear to prepare an ark. He believed the word of God. And, and if I could just kind of use this illustration, let's say somebody comes to church. The, the man of God stands up and he begins to preach about the coming of the Lord and about the coming judgment upon the earth. If that person responds with fear, that's not a bad thing. If they respond with fear, the Bible says Noah was moved, moved with fear. But why was he moved with fear? He believed the word of God. When God said, I'm about to flood the earth, you better prepare an ark. Noah went uh, and he prepared an ark. He was moved with fear to do it. And it says, of things not seen as yet, move with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. Now, he faced a lot of ridicule. We know that. The world didn't believe him. The Bible calls him a preacher of righteousness. He preached, but the people did not believe him. They did not respond to him whatsoever. Um, however, he it was proved out in the end that Noah had made the right choice. And if you're going to respond to God in faith, and if you're going to step out on a limb and believe the word of God and obey the word of God, you're going to face ridicule. You're going to face persecution. Um, but just keep standing on the word of God. Time will prove you out. Time will uh, will be on your side. OK, verse number eight. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. He didn't know where he was going. In other words, by faith, he sojourned in the land of promises in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles. That word tabernacles means tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now, do you see a common thread here? Um, remember, verse one says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen okay so <clears throat> by faith abel couldn't see god but he offered unto god a more excellent sacrifice than cain and god testified of his gifts okay then we see uh, enoch was translated that should not see death and was not found because god had translated him for before this uh, translation he had this testimony that he pleased god he couldn't see god but he pleased god he walked with god then we see noah um, he didn't know that it was going, uh, I mean, he didn't know for certain that it was going to rain, but he believed the word of God and he took it as fact. He had never seen rain before. However, uh, he operated in faith. And then we see Abraham. He's called to go into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance. He obeyed and he went out, but he didn't know where he was going. And then it says he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country. Uh, then it says he dwelt in tabernacles or tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Then it says, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now skipping down to verse number 11, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Now, before I begin this lesson, I'm going to go ahead and start uh, with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we ask you today to please speak to us, God. Give us understanding and revelation. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be able to understand your word. God, speak to me and direct me, Jesus, as I teach this lesson. I don't know who's going to hear it. I don't know how many are going to hear it. But God, I pray that it would be a blessing, that it would minister. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Okay, again, I'm teaching on uh, this little topic, When Ordinary Becomes Extraordinary. And um, I am just going to kind of make a main point here 
uh, and we'll come back to this statement later, but I'm just going to say this. The Bible is full of stories about ordinary people, but these ordinary people faced extraordinary circumstances, and they responded in an extraordinary way. Now, I'm going to give definitions, uh, the Webster definition. I believe we understand the words and their meaning, but I'm just going to kind of give you these definitions because I think they solidify what I'm going to be teaching about here today. Ordinary means of a kind to be expected in the normal order of events, routine or usual. It means of common quality, rank, or ability. It means deficient in quality. That's really the definition I want to pay attention to here. Uh, and then a definition of extraordinary means going beyond what is usual, regular, or customary, exceptional to a very marked extent. Okay, so um, I want to talk a little bit about moving from ordinary to extraordinary. Now, all of us um, in our sinful estate uh, could be considered um, ordinary people. The Bible says that um, Jesus talking about when the disciples asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? He said, uh, the, the, the road is, is broad and wide, and he said, wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. He said, many there be which go in thereat, but then he said, straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So you see that the ordinary people are going to be the people that are lost, but there's going to be people that do not uh, go after the, the common, the ordinary way of life, but they seek God. Um, as we saw as in our examples of Hebrews chapter number 11, these are extraordinary people who, in the midst of a world of ordinary people, they stepped out of that realm and they became extraordinary. And as a result, they were saved. Um, they, these are people that operated off of faith. Faith is what takes you from ordinary to extraordinary. We could talk about Noah in the midst of ordinary people. Uh, Noah responded in an extraordinary way and did extraordinary things. Uh, which at the time seemed crazy to the people that surrounded him, but it turns out in the end that it saved him, and not only him, but also his house, which that should be a, a beautiful testimony to some of you out there that have responded to God, but you haven't yet seen your family come to God. Well, <clears throat> Noah is a perfect example of the fact that um, I don't read anywhere where his kids were, were praised for their faith, uh, but they got on that ark and they were saved because of Noah's uh, response to God's word. So if you obey God's word in time, it could also save your own house. And uh, I'm reminded of Acts chapter number 16. I really didn't plan to get into all this, but uh, the Bible talks about Paul and Silas. They sing praises unto God. There's a great earthquake that comes, shakes the prison doors. The doors open, and then the Bible says that uh, the jailer sees that the doors are open. He thinks all the prisoners have escaped. He pulls out his sword uh to, to cut himself open, to kill himself. And Paul said, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. And uh, Paul begins to speak to him a little bit, and the man says, what should I do? And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. Now, <clears throat> it's clear that one person's belief is not going to save their entire household. But Paul spoke in faith, and guess what? It did come to pass, because it says after that he took and he baptized his entire household. So when this one man took Paul and Silas into his home and they all heard the preaching of the word of God, the man's response also led to the salvation of his family. So you may be the first one to step out, but just keep staying in the faith. And when they see the change in your lifestyle, uh, your testimony could be enough to reach your entire household. Then it says, like, by faith, Abraham, he was called to go into a place which uh, he should after receive for an inheritance. He obeyed and he went out not knowing whither he went. Now, I've often wondered, uh, was Abraham the only one that God spoke to? Possibly. 
but maybe God had tried to speak to other people and they didn't respond to God. If I can just speak this way, you say, well, you have no proof of that. Well, uh, how many people does God deal with today? How many people do you know of a fact that God has dealt with them and tried to, to, uh, to call them to go to church or tried to call them to salvation and they disregarded the word of the Lord and turned away from it? Yet you responded. Uh, some of the people under the sound of my voice are the people that responded, the extraordinary people. But the ordinary person does not respond to the call of the Lord. So I believe God probably did speak to other people. But there's something about this man, Abraham. When God spoke, Abraham listened and Abraham obeyed. He went out. He didn't know where he was going. His faith caused him to do something that was extraordinary, out of the ordinary. That's really what the, the what I'm talking about is out of the ordinary, extraordinary. Okay, so... Um, now, I want to talk about this. Now, who qualifies to, to go from ordinary to extraordinary? Well, let me just tell you, number one, advanced age does not exclude you from moving from ordinary to extraordinary. Remember, Abram was 75 years old when God called him. And until this moment, he was just an ordinary man. Genesis 12 and 4 says, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 70 and 5 years old when he departed out of Haran. So for 75 years, Abram didn't really accomplish anything worth mentioning. But God saw something in him that he could use, and he called him out from the ordinary, which his family, his friends, and homeland. These were ordinary people into an extraordinary realm. So he called him out of the ordinary into the extraordinary. In this realm, and let me just give you kind of a, a couple of uh, warnings here. Jesus, uh, let me just use this as an example here. Jesus never... Uh, called anybody out without warning them of what the cost was going to be. Um, if you can look and, and, and see, some people said, Lord, I'll follow you. So he had several willing participants. Now, if you're anything like me, you think, oh, here's somebody willing to come to church or here's somebody willing uh, to, to get a Bible study. Well, I better approach this from a very tender perspective and, and try to just uh, ease them into this. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus looked at some of these people that came and said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. He said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, the son of man hath nowhere to lay his head. Another man said, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So Jesus did not paint this rosy picture to get people to follow him. Uh, he called them into the unknown and he warned them about the cost of their decision. Remember what he said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So he said, if you don't take up your cross, you're not worthy to be my disciple. And then he said in another place, he said, if any man come after me, he does not hate his father and mother, yea, his own brother for my sake, he cannot be my disciple. So he clearly told them, if you follow me, this is going to cost you something. And notice when Abram followed God, uh, he faced the unknown. He lost control all of his life. He had been in his father's house, probably going to receive inheritance of his father. He's had has this nice, comfortable home, this nice, comfortable living that he's making. And yet in Hebrews 11 and 8, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed and went out not knowing whither he went. So the first thing he faced was the unknown. For the first time in his life, he's facing the unknown. 75 years he's faced comfort, but now he's facing the unknown. Then he left the comfortable. He left the financial confidence that he had once known. Uh, Hebrews 11 and 9 says, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles. And again, where tabernacles means tents, with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same 
promise. So in his homeland, he had confidence in the future inheritance. Uh, but now he trusted God to provide for him. Okay, so that's example number one is Abram. He was 75 years old when God called him. Now keep that in mind. Another example I want to give you is Moses was 80 years old when God called him. For 40 years, Moses dwelt in luxury while his brethren suffered. You can read that in Acts 7, 22 through 24. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. Then verse 25, for he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. So Moses understood his calling into the extraordinary realm, but he jumped ahead of God's time clock. So remember, for 40 years, he's living in luxury. Then uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 26 through 30 says, And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove, and would have set them at one again, saying, Sirs, ye be brethren, why do you wrong to another? But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses fled at the saying and was a stranger in the land of Midian and begat two sons. And when forty years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. Now I'm trusting in uh, the people that listen to this lesson to know these stories. And if you don't know them, please go through our Bible 101 series so you can learn them. Uh, because I know that we, we have new converts that listen to this. We have people that don't even believe listening to this. And then we do have church people that listen to this as well. But notice that it says, And when 40 years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. So Moses could have wallowed in his failure and died, an old shepherd in the wilderness. But when God called him, he responded, though not immediately. There was some hesitation, but he did respond. Now consider some of the factors that were against him. Number one, he didn't really know God. He asked his name. Uh, this is the first record we have of God speaking directly to Moses. And somebody might be out there and saying, uh, well, you know, I'm 60 years old. I'm 70 years old. God's never spoken to me before. Well, there's always a first time. And, uh, you know, in this case, Moses is 80 years old. It seems like life has kind of passed him by and he's going to die as a shepherd out there in the wilderness. But God speaks to him for the first time when he's 80 years old. Number two. He faced the most powerful monarch in the world with a great army. Are you facing circumstances like this? Probably not. Number three, his own brethren didn't even believe in him. Number four, he had zero leadership experience. And number five, he could not speak well. So he could not depend upon his own talent and his own ability. Um, and I, I love something that happened here because uh, he tells God, he says, God, I'm, I'm not able to go um, and they're not going to believe me. And the Lord's response to him is, he said, what is that in your hand? And Moses says, a rod. Now, what you have to understand, this is just a normal shepherd's rod. There's nothing special about this rod. Moses was very familiar with this rod because for 40 years he had used this to lead sheep around. So Moses is very familiar with this rod, but God said, throw it down. Now, Moses had probably dropped this rod many times before laid it down as, you know, as he was done with the day, or sometimes maybe he accidentally dropped it and nothing had ever happened. But he didn't argue with God. He just took it and threw it down. And as soon as he did, it became a snake. God said, reach down and pick it up. By the tail, he reached down, and he picked it up and it became a rod again. And so, so many times you might say, well, God, I don't have ability. God, I'm, I'm not, I don't have talents. Well, just give God what you do have. Kind of like that lad with the five loaves and the two small fish. 
Um, and I've often thought, you know, that's the miracle that could have never happened if somebody had not been willing to give up their lunch. Possibly that was the lunch for that lad and his his uh, family. But he gave it up and Jesus took it and multiplied it. And we know that there were 12 baskets full afterward. So if you just give what you have, God can take it, multiply it and use it for his glory. Now, consider again for 80 years, really, Moses did nothing worth writing about. I understand uh, he was placed in a basket that wasn't any action of his own. He was put in Pharaoh's palace. Then he killed the Egyptian. Um, and, and the Bible clearly tells us that this was a mistake. Uh, however, um, for 80 years, he did nothing really that's significant. But Deuteronomy 34, 10 through 12 records his epitaph. And, and look at this written on Moses's tombstone, if you will. And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face in all the signs and the wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. And in all that mighty hand and in all the great terror which Moses showed in the sight of all Israel. Just think about that for a minute. Eighty years of what you might consider to be wasted life. And yet... God said this about Moses. There's never been a prophet like him, and there'll never be one like him again. God knew him face to face. He performed miracles. He did all these miracles and signs and wonders in the sight of Pharaoh in Egypt. Consider that just for a minute. So you might be saying, well, here I am. I feel like life has kind of passed me by. I'll never do anything for God. Don't ever say never. Um, God could still use you. God can still use you if you will be willing to just obey him when he speaks to you, okay? Number three, Noah was 600 years old when he got on the ark. Genesis 7 and 6, and Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. And I know some of you might respond to this and say, yeah, but people lived till 900 years old plus back then. Still consider he's over halfway through with his life. So we say the average, uh, not the average, but uh, the decent lifespan would be 70 years old. Um, but but consider that even if, you know, we, we, we took and, and we tried to apply the stipulations on the story, he's halfway through over, excuse me, over halfway through his life at this point. And really for this amount of time, yes, I know the Bible says he walked with God, but he hasn't done anything uh, that that would necessarily cause him to stand out other than just walking with God. And that's great. Don't get me wrong. But what do we remember Noah for? We remember Noah because of the ark right? Okay. Read Hebrews 11 and 7 says, by faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. And Genesis 7 and 6 says, and Noah was six years, uh, 600 years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. So for over 500 years, Noah was faithful, but his crowning achievement was accomplished around 600 years after his birth. Then I want you to consider something else. You think about uh, Jesus and uh, how great he was. You might think of the fact, well, he's God in flesh. I'm sure from the very instant he was born, he came out doing the great wonders of God. But notice uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 42 through 51. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. 
And it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. More on that later. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. So I want you to notice something here. Uh, it's Some people might wonder, why don't we read anything about Jesus' childhood besides this passage? But I don't wonder about it at all. Why? It means that for 30 years, he lived a normal life. There were 30 years of normal life for Jesus before he began ministry. If I can put it this way, 30 years of downtime. Really, all you need to know is Luke 2.52. Notice this, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So let me tell you some things to do in your downtime. Number one, do what Jesus did. Increase in wisdom. Learn the scriptures. Obey your pastor, parents, and your elders, and learn from them. Watch this, Luke 2.51. And he went down with them, talking about his parents, and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. That means he was submitted unto them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. He could have said, I'm God in flesh. I don't have to submit to anyone. But he still submitted to his parents. Then Luke 2.46 Watch this. And it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. Notice, Jesus was not teaching them. They weren't listening to him. He was hearing them and he was asking them questions. So he could have said, I'm God in flesh. I have nothing to learn from any of you. But he submitted himself to authority and he submitted himself to his parents. So he increased in wisdom He increased in learning. So many people say, well, I don't need a pastor. I can read the Bible for myself and get all that I need out of the Bible. Well, can I tell you, even Jesus submitted himself to the religious teachers in that day. Remember, he's hearing them, asking them questions. Even Jesus submitted himself to his parents. Okay, and then notice this. Number two, it says he increased in stature. That word stature means maturity. Something I want to point out is Levites... Uh, could not serve until they were 25 years old. You can read that in Numbers chapter 8, verses 23 through 26, and I'm going to take time to read it. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This is that that belongeth unto the Levites from 20 and 5 years old and upward. They shall go in to wait upon the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. And from the age of 50 years, they shall cease waiting upon the service thereof and shall serve no more, but shall minister with their brethren in the tabernacle of the congregation to keep the charge and shall do no service. Thus shalt thou do unto the Levites touching their charge. Let me read a couple of commentaries here to help you understand this a little bit better. This comes from the King James Version Zondervan commentary. It says this, they could begin their service at the age of 20 and five years, though the ones who were to transport the tabernacle had to be 30. You can read that chapter four, verse number three, and could serve up to the age of 50. Verse 25, Levites over the age of 50 were to minister as assistants to the younger priest. Verse 26, these orders kept the service in the hands of men in the prime years of their lives. Here's another commentary. This comes from Moody commentary. Later in David's reign, Levites were able to begin service in the tabernacle at the age of 20. 
There, the explanation is given that this was because the Levites no longer had to transport the tabernacle and its sacred objects. That's 1 Chronicles 23, 24-25. It's speaking about there. So notice, children could not handle the weight of the responsibility and the severity or the seriousness of Levitical work. So when does a person become mature in the eyes of God? My opinion is, Proverbs 1 and 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 9 and 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So in order to be considered truly mature by God, you must fear him and have knowledge of the holy. So remember, we're looking at things to do in downtime. If nothing's really happening in your life right now, work on increasing in wisdom. Learn from your pastor. Learn from your parents. Uh, uh, learn from your authority. Uh, also, increase in stature or maturity. Just let God mature you. A lot of times you need downtime, and that's the time you need to mature. You need to grow. You need to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. You need to grow in the fear of the Lord, also the knowledge of the holy. Then number three thing to do in downtime, notice Jesus increased in favor with God and men. When you step into the extraordinary realm, you will need favor with God and men. Many disqualify themselves in downtime because they mistreat others. When someone runs for a political office, all of their past mistakes become public knowledge. Their opponents seek to disqualify them by pulling the skeletons out of the closet. The less skeletons you have, the better. Many people disqualify themselves in downtime. Love God and love your neighbor. If you are faithful in these two areas, when your time comes, God can use you without hesitation. While past sins can be forgiven, they do give the enemy more ground in overcoming the people of God. I'm reading my own writings here. Consider what Nathan told David after he committed adultery and murder. 2 Samuel 12, 13-14 says, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. So notice, David's sin was forgiven by God, but... He still had to face punishment for his sin because by his sin, he caused the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. God's watching, and also remember, others are watching you. So what you do in your downtime is very, very important. Okay, let's move on to part number two. One event can take you from ordinary to extraordinary. So my first point was uh, advanced age does not disqualify you from moving from the realm of ordinary to extraordinary. Now... I want to point out here in part number two uh, that one event, only one event, can take you from ordinary to extraordinary. Let me give you a couple examples here. Number one, Hadassah. You might say, who's Hadassah? Probably a lot of people out there don't even know who that is. Hadassah is otherwise known as Esther. Hadassah was her Jewish name. Esther was her Persian name, which means star. Hadassah means myrtle tree. Hadassah was a normal Jewish girl living in a foreign land. She is remembered because she became queen and saved the Jewish people. Even so, little is known about her from a historical standpoint. Just, if you don't believe me, try to go and study out the life of Esther from a historical vantage point, uh, not taking into, uh, to, uh, uh, into account the biblical record. You're going to have a hard time finding anything out about Esther. Uh, no one knows for sure what happened to her after uh, the biblical events. She was around 40 years of age when she first appeared before the king. 
She didn't have a pleasant life before this moment either. Now, this comes from Jews for Jesus uh, website, and they brought up four points. I thought this was kind of interesting. Number one, she lived in exile. And uh, if, if you study out biblical history, what you're going to understand is during the point of uh, Esther's existence, the Jewish people were in exile. Um, and the Persians, the Medes and Persians were ruling at the time. Number two, she was an orphan. Uh, Esther 2 and 7 tells us that uh, Mordecai was her uncle and her parents had died. Number three, she was taken captive. Uh, remember, the Persian king, Ahasuerus, uh, was displeased with his wife, Vashti, put her out of power, searched for a new queen, uh, and so they took all the beautiful young virgins, brought them to the palace. They were manicured for a long period of time, and they got to spend one night with the king. Uh, got to is kind of a, uh, uh, a term I'm going to talk about here in just a minute. That's not really a good word. They had to spend one night with the king. They didn't get much choice in the matter. Um, and Esther was actually kidnapped, taken captive. Uh, I don't think she said, hey, here, I want to be the king's new bride. No, because she didn't have any assurance of that, nor did any of the other girls. Maybe some of them did want to be the king's new bride, but, uh, you know, they, they were all taken captive against, you know, against their will, probably. Maybe some of them uh, uh, relished the opportunity, but I don't believe that Esther did. So she was taken captive. And number four, and I know this is a little controversial, but just hang on with me. Some believe she was raped. That might be a shocker to you today, but consider the fact that um, uh, some of the things I, I'm going to read here, uh, and I'm just going to read what this website had to say, and you can just kind of take it into account. If you don't agree with it, just place this off to the side. But it, they did have an interesting point. This is what it says. Uh, the scriptures are pretty clear about what happened. When the turn came for each young woman to go into King Ahasuerus, after being 12 months under the regulations for the women, since this was the regular period of their, uh, of their beautifying, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for women, when the young woman went in for the king in this way, she was given whatsoever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go in, and in the morning, she would return to the second harem in the custody of the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her, and she was summoned by name. The virgins, who were all quite young, were escorted to the king, who is said to have been approximately 40 years of age at the time. They were taken one by one for him to sleep with. They didn't return to the other virgins, but instead were added to the number of the king's other concubines. No other man could ever be their husband, and they never saw the king again unless he was pleased with them. In short, the king test drove all the models before making his pur purchase after he purchased Esther to replace his former queen. So consider the fact, number one, this man was a Gentile. Okay, so uh, for her to even be with him would be considered an abomination. And then not only that, but it's possible this is going to be a one-time event and she can never marry. So you can only imagine what she must have felt like. So that's why they say it's possible that she was raped. Esther could have become bitter and refused her responsibility. Yet all of these factors work together to set her up for the extraordinary. And if you've ever studied the book of Esther, what you're going to find out is that she's placed in this very difficult position because Haman, the second man in power, hates the Jews because uh, he is uh, uh, an Agagite. Uh, King Agag was not killed by Saul. Saul left him alive, apparently. 
he was allowed to to uh, to marry to have children during this time. Uh, we don't know everything about it, but we do know the Amalekites survived, and apparently Haman was a descendant of Agag. And we also see he went and he requested the king and said, "Let's put them all to death." The king possibly drunken at the time. Most people believe that um, the Persians actually had a practice where uh, they considered themselves in touch with the gods when they would drink. And so uh, Ahasuerus could have been drunk at the time it was requested for him to put all the Jewish people to death. Maybe this influenced his position or his uh, position on the matter. We don't know that for sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. But and then Esther chapter four, verse 14, very famous verse of scripture, because Mordecai tells Esther, you need to do something about this. Obviously, he's sending this message through a servant. And then he says this, Esther 4, 14, for if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art to come into the kingdom for such a time as this? He's telling her, if you don't do something about this, God's going to raise up somebody else and you're not going to escape either. But he says, you have come into the kingdom. Who knows? Maybe just for such a time as this. So Esther risked everything. Even though there were a lot of negative things that happened in her life, one event turned her from an ordinary girl to an extraordinary hero of biblical proportions. Again, after what she did in the book of Esther, we don't read about anything else that Esther ever did. She disappears off the historical map after this point. Again, if you don't believe me, try to go study her life. All we know about her is what the Bible tells us. But this one event took Esther from the ordinary realm into the extraordinary realm. And there's actually a book in the Bible that bears her name. Example number two, Abel. Now, little is known about Abel. His name means breath or nothing, probably because of his short life. But the writer of Hebrews makes this statement about Abel. And I want you to listen very carefully. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it, notice that word it, singular, by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. One single sacrifice caused God to testify of Abel's gifts and caused Abel to speak even after he had died. One sacrifice. Notice, by it, he being dead, yet speaketh, and God testifies of his gifts. Example number three, Mary. Mark chapter 14, verses one through nine. I'm not going to take time to read it, but here we see in Bethany, Jesus is, uh, he's reclining. Mary comes in. She has an alabaster box of ointment, uh, spikenard, very precious. She breaks the box. She pours it on his head. Most people believe this is Mary, even though this passage doesn't give us the name. <clears throat> you can compare it to some of the other passages. And it says, uh, after that, there were some that had indignation in themselves. We know that was Judas starting this up among the disciples. Said, why was it this sold and given to the poor? Uh, this was tremendously costly. It's possible her life savings paid for this alabaster box of precious ointment, yet she broke it and poured it out upon Jesus. And uh, when they tried to uh, fight her over this uh, ordeal, Jesus told them to leave her alone. Verse 6, verse 7 says, For you have the poor with you always, and whensoever you will, you may do them good. But me, you have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Now, if you 
uh, remember anything about the biblical story, the Gospels, you'll know nobody got to anoint Jesus' body for burying uh, when he was buried because they came too late to do it. They tried, but the stone had already been rolled away. Mary's worship was prophetic. You never know when your worship might be prophetic. And then number nine, verse number nine says, Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of of a memorial of her. And this day, really, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears because I'm still talking about this story even today. So those two points, her worship was prophetic. And number two, Jesus commended her act of worship and said it would be spoken about wherever the gospel was proclaimed. If you'll excuse me just a minute while I drink some water. Mary of Bethany is remembered today as a worshiper. Little is known about her after this point or before this point, but it was simply one act of worship that caused her to step from the realm of the ordinary into the extraordinary. And we read about her today. So let me just tell you this, one act of worship in a service, one prayer meeting, one sacrifice can take you from an ordinary saint to an extraordinary servant of God. Okay, part three, and I'm not going to be too much longer. Some were made extraordinary by their trials. Example, Job, James 5 and 11, behold, we count them happy, which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Consider that the encouragement of Christians from all ages hinged upon the response of Job to his trial. How many have been encouraged by Job in their moment of suffering? But notice what it says. James 5, 11 again. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Here's the answer. Just endure your trial. That could take you from ordinary to extraordinary. We know about Job because of the trial that he faced. Although the Bible does say he was perfect, he was blameless, he was upright. He was a man that feared God, a man that shunned evil. That's what that word eschewed means. He hated evil. He shunned evil. But we don't know about Job because of his faithfulness in the good times. We know about Job because of his endurance in a time of suffering. Consider also Joseph. Uh, we know that famous little speech he gave his brothers. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. But we don't know about Joseph because of his faithfulness necessarily to God or his refusal to sleep with Potiphar's wife, although it is mentioned there. We don't know about him because uh, necessarily of the dreams that he had, but what we do know about him is that he endured the temptations, he endured the trials, he suffered through the persecution, and God, because of his endurance, raised him up to be the second most powerful man in Egypt, and possibly the second most powerful man in all the world, and I believe he was at that time. But why? Why do we know about Joseph? Because of his endurance. So you never know. You might say, well, that's kind of far-fetched. I'm going through a hard time right now, and I don't really think that uh, you know, God's going to have me be written about in a book. You never know. You never know how your endurance in a time of suffering could be a testimony to family members, could be a testimony to neighbors, could be a testimony to the sinners out there. You never know. So you need to, to hang on through your trial. Take your moment of testing. Uh, 
and just allow the Spirit of God to lead you and guide you. Okay, part number four. Others were made extraordinary by their continual faithfulness. Example one, Enoch. Hebrews 11 and 5. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. Now, why? Why did God translate Enoch? Watch this. For before his testimony, excuse me, for before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Notice, not one act of Enoch is singled out, and only a few of his words are recorded in the book of Jude. But he walked with God in a time of wickedness. The ordinary people were living in sin and ignoring God, but Enoch just kept walking with God. Consider some of the honorable mentions of Scripture. Romans 16, 6-13. Paul writing, he said this, Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane, and helper in Christ, and Stachikis, my brother. Salute Apelos, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Aristobulus's household. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Salute Trophina and Trophosa, who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, which suffered, or excuse me, which labored much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Why did Paul write about these people? It's almost as if God whispered to Paul and said, Mention these names. I want them in Scripture. Little is known about them other than what Paul wrote. They were faithful. That was enough for them to be mentioned in the Bible. Part number five, some are made extraordinary because of their love for the ministry. Who will God commend on Judgment Day? Matthew 25, 31 through 40. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations. And he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of the Lord, uh, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when, was, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. You might say, Who's he talking about by my brethren? He's talking about his disciples those that would serve him, my brethren. Uh, because remember when they said, your uh, mother and brother seek to see you. He said, who, are my, who is my mother and my brethren? He turned and looked at the disciples. He said, here is my mother and brethren. So we know by brethren, he's talking about his disciples. On judgment day, God will commend those that provided for his ministers. In the eyes of man, you are ordinary, but God considers you extraordinary and worthy of great reward in heaven. So you might just be a, a saint sitting on a pew and you don't really feel like you can do anything that would make an impact in the kingdom of God. Can I just tell you that if you just bless your pastor, bless the one that's blessed, bless the ministry, bless the man of God, uh, give him food to eat, uh, 
give him special things that uh, that show him how much you love him and how much you're thankful for his ministry. And on Judgment Day, you will be commended as extraordinary. All right, finally, part six, made extraordinary by the way you die. Hebrews 11 and 13, I'm only going to read the first part of this verse. These all died in faith. You might have been an ordinary person your entire life until the very end. But if you die in the faith, this will make you extraordinary to God. Some people may have wasted almost their entire life away, but God is merciful to them in their last days. We could talk about many, many examples that um, here today. There's a lot of stories I've heard about. I've heard about people in their 90s rejecting God almost their entire life, but finally they they call for the preacher and he prays them through the Holy Ghost. They're baptized in Jesus' name and they wound up going to heaven. Let me tell you this story in closing. I think this is a powerful story. Um, I heard a story told one time by uh, a man of God that was preaching. He said, and of course I'm telling this this uh, third hand, um, I, I don't know a whole lot about the situation, uh, but he was talking about a woman that had been in the church all of her life uh, she married a man that was not in the church. And so she, she kept going to church and serving God, but he did not support her. He refused to go to church. She kept trying to witness to him and tell him, come on, hun, hun you've got to go to church. You got to go to church. He wouldn't go. He had never go. And, uh, finally, finally the day came where I believe he had a heart attack and they took him they put him in the hospital room and, uh, they said, we're losing him. And, uh, the doctors and nurses couldn't do anything for him. They said, we're losing him. And he was about to go. And all of a sudden, she said she was just, uh, she fell asleep in the chair next to him. And she said she woke up because there was an extreme heat in the room. And uh, she said it got so hot, she couldn't hardly bear it. And she started trying to open windows and she called the nurses in and they all came in. And they said, we don't understand why it's so hot in this room. And all of a sudden the man started screaming and he said, I'm on fire. I'm on fire. I'm on fire. I'm on fire. Get me out of here. I'm on fire. And so they attempted to try to, to get him back, but they said it seemed like he was slipping away and he was about to die. And he kept screaming, I'm on fire, I'm on fire. So they, they kept doing everything they could. And so she began to pray for him. And finally, the room cooled down and he settled down. And as soon as he came to, he looked at his wife and he said, you're not going to believe this, but I was just in the fires of hell. He said, I don't want to go to hell. Please, please tell me what I need to do. And so she began to witness to him and, and the preacher was called in. He laid hands on him and he received the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues. And they took him and they baptized him in Jesus' name. Now listen to this. God gave him a grace period. One week he remained alive. They said in that week this man became the most powerful witness that they had ever seen. He witnessed to everybody in that hospital. He picked up the phone. He called relatives and called them and witnessed to them and told them they needed to get right with God. And then he slipped out into eternity. That's tremendous grace and mercy. But notice, he didn't live much of a life, but he died in faith. Now, in closing, let me tell you about the ordinary. I've spent all this time telling you about the extraordinary. Now, let me tell you about the ordinary. Matthew 19, verse 16 through 22. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, 
Thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What like I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell what thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. No name was given here. We merely know him as the rich young ruler, just one of the ordinary. He could have been another Peter, another Paul, another James, Andrew. But he's just the rich young ruler, an ordinary person. Luke 9, 57 through 62, and it came to pass that as they went in the way, certain men said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Notice it calls him, uh, it, it just says here, a certain man. Another Peter, Paul? Nope. Another ordinary person. Just another face in the crowd that rejects Jesus and refuses to follow him. Verse 59, and he said unto another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. So he's just known as another ordinary. Verse 61, and another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are not at, uh, excuse me, which are at home at my house. Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. No names are given. They could have had their names mentioned in the Bible, but instead, they were just ordinary no names. Nothing to make them stand out except a missed opportunity. You might want to use the excuse that your past keeps you from doing anything great for God, but consider these examples quickly. David, adultery, murder. Number two, Moses, murder. Number three, Abraham, lying. Marrying and having a child with an Egyptian. Number four, Jacob stealing from his brother, deceiving his own father. Number five, Peter denying Jesus. But all of these men are remembered as extraordinary men, not because they failed, but because they didn't wallow in failure. Your failure does not have to be fatal. Stop making the excuse that your past keeps you from doing anything for God. Remember, your advanced age isn't a factor. One event can take you from ordinary to extraordinary. Your trial could be what sets you apart. Your faithfulness makes you extraordinary. Your love and provision for ministry can make you extraordinary in the sight of God. Your righteous death can set you above the ordinary. But don't reject the extraordinary realm simply because it's uncomfortable and full of unknown, unknown factors. Stay faithful and grow and watch for the chance to step into another realm. Well, that's all for this lesson here today. Let's pray in, close, in closing here. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to teach this lesson here today. God, I know that in the future people will come and listen to this lesson. You have blessed this podcast, allowed it to be listened by, to by many, many people. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for that. God, I ask that this would motivate people, that this, this would move us all, myself included, to not focus on just the ordinary realm, but to want to become extraordinary. And it is our faith that will set us apart. God, I want to respond to your word. I want to do something extraordinary for the kingdom of God. We love you and we give you a praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. May you have a blessed day.